Welcome to the Gaimia Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're listening to the pod and trust that this message encourages your heart and faith today. At GBC, we're all about partnering with God in the renewal and restoration of all things. And it's our hope that through these sermons, you'll discover the life-changing power of Jesus. If you'd like to join us in person or online or find out more, check out our website at guymerebaptist.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jerry. Wonderful prayer. This morning we're reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And it's titled, John the Baptist Prepares the Way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a level, le- sorry, leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Karen. And uh, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you here in church. Uh, if you uh, haven't met me before or um, you're visiting for the first time, my name's Roxanne. I'm associate pastor here. Uh, lovely to see you. Hopefully, I can get to know you a little bit after with a coffee or something afterwards. Um, well, as was mentioned <clears throat> earlier, we are starting our home for Christmas. I think the platform looks incredible. Uh, really excited about all that God is going to do in this home for Christmas series. And as we as we go into it, I've I've got to confess to you that my Christmas tree is not up. Like, nothing is happening at home. Like, seriously, there's no wreath, there's no tree yet. Like, I've got, like, one Christmas decoration out, and only because I bought it from Coles. Okay? So, that's just just me at the moment. You, on the other hand, might be much more prepared than I am. So, have a little think. Are you prepared for Christmas? Is the tree up? How's the lights looking? Have you got the presents sorted? Have you got the menu, the venue, the whole thing? Is it all together? in your house. Uh, For me, not so much. But I know for for many of us, um, the preparation for Christmas is a really wonderful and exciting time. People um, sometimes love preparing for Christmas. Uh, I think you can tell that I don't. Um, So, you know, maybe it's because I work in a church and there's a lot going on. But um, but for many people, we like preparing for Christmas. And that that sense of preparation and um, and getting ready and doing doing some cleaning and some cooking and some buying and some shopping, Um, all of that that exists in the world out there is actually really relevant to this season in church because this this season in church is known as a preparation season in the lead up to Christmas Day. And um, it's got a name called Advent. 
You may have um, known in the lead up to, to Easter, you've heard of Lent, where you stop eating chocolate and all the good things, and then uh, you celebrate the resurrection of the Lord with all the good things. This season is Advent, and Advent's a Latin word. It means uh, coming or arrival, and it's the season of expectation, of waiting, of longing, of looking forward to the advent of the King, the arrival, the coming of the King. And... Um, it's, you, might, you, might have had a, you might have an advent calendar. Has anyone got an advent calendar? They know with the really dodgy chocolate inside it or whatever. <laughs> it's always bad chocolate. Um, but that actually is a fairly modern thing. But advent wreaths and advent candles are actually quite ancient in the church. And what they would do in this season, this number of weeks leading up to Christmas, is uh, in church you would have a wreath, a green, evergreen wreath, to, to signify God's everlasting love, which is unchanging and, and ever fresh, ever new, uh, this beautiful green wreath. And they would put candles around this wreath, and each Sunday they would light uh, another candle so that... and so that, you know, on Sunday number one, the candle of hope was lit, and then the candle of joy, and the candle of peace, etc. And then on Christmas Day, they would light the Christ candle. And so in ever-increasing brightness, this wreath would glow and glow, uh, which is great probably if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. In Australia, I think yesterday, we would have been blowing out those candles, wouldn't we? Because uh, it was 40 degrees here. But, um, but this sense of Advent and waiting with expectation, we find that here in the Scripture that we're reading through today. So if you've got your Bibles... Have a bit of a look at Mark chapter 1. Um, it's in the app as well. Uh, if, you, um, if you have the app, it'll be in that, in the events tab. Um, now, you might have noticed in this Bible reading that we had for us, there was zero Christmas. There was not a shepherd to be found. There is no Mary, there's no Joseph, there's not a manger, there's no uh, wise man gifts, nothing. And it sounds very different to all the nativity stories in the Gospel writers. Like Luke goes on about the nativity, Matthew goes on about uh, the nativity and the wise men. Uh, the Gospel of John has like it from a heavenly perspective. Mark, on the other hand, has no time no time for that. He has no time for your nativity shenanigans. He is getting right down to it. Uh, this is like the, the biblical equivalent of like a race car, right? You know, the, the, the flag goes down and the car just goes from zero to 100 all at once. Uh, because even though it doesn't mention the birth of Jesus, it's all about the arrival, the advent, the coming of Jesus. So let's have a quick look at uh, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 1. I'm just going to stop right there. I just want to pause it right there. Because if you're anything like me, you kind of read the first part of each of these Gospels or the first part of a letter in the Bible as though it was like, to whom it may concern, or dear sir slash madam, and we kind of just gloss over it, like, you know, uh, like the, the subject line in an email. Yep, okay, got some framework, let's move on. But I actually think that this one verse is so rich and mind-blowing and exciting that I just want us to have a bit of an unpack of this. Because in, in, in writing this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, Mark is telling us something so, so significant. The beginning. This, this word beginning is the same word that he'll later use for the creation. This is the very genesis, the start 
of something. And, and if you look back to Genesis and the, the creation, it's something that God did a long time ago. And this is the beginning of something that God had planned a long time ago. And here we are seeing it out. And guess what? It's going to keep continuing a bit like creation. It's just the beginning, but it's more than the beginning. And then he goes on to say the beginning of the good News, this word good news, um, is actually a political word that the Roman rulers or the, the powers that be would use at the time. They would win a great victory on the battlefield and they would get out there and go, good news, good news, I've won the victory, I've won the battle. There is peace for everybody now. It is good news. And in, and in saying this word good news, Mark takes this, this sense of winning a victory through violence and battle and he shifts it and he upends it and he subverts it and he makes it about Jesus. And if we read to the end of the gospel, we find the victory doesn't come through enacting violence, but instead the victory comes through having violence done to Christ, completely subverts this good news. But we know, don't we, that it is indeed good news. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus. The word Jesus here, this is a word that the Hebrews use. There's a lot of Jesuses uh, in this time. There's a lot of Jesuses through there. It's Yeshua, which is a word that means saviour, the one who saves. It's the beginning of the good news about the saviour. And then it goes on to say the Messiah. So not only is Jesus the saviour, but he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the one who is expected and coming, the one who was promised to save Israel. This is who this person is. And then if that wasn't enough for you, he's going to blow your mind even more by saying that this one, this Jesus, saviour, Messiah, anointed one, is also the Son of God. He's the Son of God. He is God incarnate, God himself, come down to earth. He is, he is a person of the Trinity, um, God as a man, the divinity of Christ himself. Emmanuel is what we sing at Christmas time. And Emmanuel um, is, is a word, it's, it's a Hebrew word, and it means with us God. Um, Emmanuel. El, we know from Elohim or El Shaddai, the word God. So it literally means the with us God. God with us, we say in English, it sounds better. <laughs> but it's the with us God. And, and this is what Mark is saying. This is the, the thing that we're longing for, that he's expected. Here it is, friends. It is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I just think for us, we need to grasp what Christmas is all about, what that Advent is, why we're lighting the candles, why we're doing the preparation. It's because this incredible, mind-blowing invasion of heaven to earth has now come. That's just verse 1. How good's this? Verse 2. Let's keep going. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Now, this is a quote. It's actually a quote from a bunch of different Old Testament passages, but mostly Isaiah, so that's why they, um, Mark would have put Isaiah there. Uh, now, the people reading this gospel for the very first time, Mark's kind of audience, they would have gone, ah, I know this part. I know what you're talking about because this language would have reminded them really strongly of something that happened in Isaiah chapter 4. And um, Isaiah chapter 4 has a lot 
of this language. In Isaiah chapter 4, God's people had been um, exiled from the land that he'd promised them. They were in the promised land, it all went bad, it all went wrong. God, in order to, to punish and correct them, allowed them to be exiled and removed from the land. And in Isaiah chapter 40, we get this shift where God says to them, things are going to change. Things are going to change. I'm going to be bringing you back from exile into the land, back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, back to where you are my people in my place and I am your God. And, and Isaiah chapter 40 says, comfort my people. Your sin has been paid for. There's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground should become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And when John is out there preaching, and, um, and he's in the wilderness saying, prepare the way, everyone would have been going, that's Isaiah 40 language. That's when God said to Israel, your sins have been forgiven, and I'm about to restore you. They would have remembered that Israel was a hopeless people without hope, without help, captive. And God said, not for long. I'm coming to restore you. I am going to help you who cannot help yourself. I'm going to save you who cannot save yourself. I'm going to set you free who cannot free yourself. And we're going to go and we're going to go back to the promised land. And, and they would have remembered this and understood this. Um, and, and they would have um, been, been incredibly amazed at what God was going to do in that. This, in Mark chapter 1, is like that, in Isaiah chapter 40. That was then, but this is now. And John, the Baptist, takes this role on. He takes this role on as somebody who is saying, similar to Isaiah the prophet, in fact, he's dressed remarkably like Isaiah the prophet in his funky outfit of camel's hair with a leather belt and his strange diet of locusts and wild honey. He takes on this role like Isaiah, um, declaring that God's going to do this thing. God's going to do a new thing. Your sins are going to be forgiven. I'm going to restore you back. And you're going to be God's people in God's place into God's rule. That is what is coming. Um, so exciting. And so he says to prepare the way. Now, I've always been confused about what preparing the way means. Uh, so I did a bit of research, and it turns out that this was something that people actually did. Uh, in the ancient Near East, the, the monarchs of the time, the kings and the queens, um, would often go to battle, <laughs> and they would um, raise an army, and in order to, to get through these, these desert spaces, these tracts of land, they needed to move swiftly and they needed to move together. They also needed to, do, um, to move together when there was a victory march, when the king or the queen was going to um, process through the wilderness. And they would send somebody. They would send a harbinger. You know, a harbinger of doom, except this is like a harbinger of construction works. Uh, so they would send someone in advance, uh, a foreteller, and they would go out and they would say about the army and the king who's coming, prepare the way. 
the king is coming, the queen is coming, the army is coming. And they would send teams out. And if there was a road that was crooked, they would straighten the road. And if there was a river, they would put a causeway over it. There was actually a famous story about an Assyrian queen who spent a lot of money to make a valley high and the mountains low, remarkably similar to what we hear. Every valley should be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will become level. So they would go out and prepare a way for the army to move. Um, Imagine doing that without heavy machinery, huh? <laughs> I don't know how they did that back then. And um, it's, it's an interesting way for an army to move, right? And in fact, even today, the US military will still say this. They will say that soldiers win battles, but logistics win wars. Soldiers win battles, logistics win wars. That sense of preparing the way, moving the ground, moving an army through, a victory parade, that's where the victory is won. And so John the Baptist here is saying that the arrival of Jesus is the advent of Jesus. He's saying to the people of, of Israel, prepare the way, get yourself ready. The king is coming. He's saying to them, if there's any impediment in the way, get rid of it. If there's any rough places in you, you need to smooth those out. If there's any mountains that you're hanging on to, get them down. If there's any valleys you're in, bring them up high. And the way that he prepared the way was in repentance. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's interesting that they didn't go to the temple to forgive sins. He actually baptised them to forgive sins. And he said, remove any impediment that stands between your soul and the King of heaven because he is coming. He's coming. He's going to arrive. And I think for us in this season of Advent, as we're preparing, getting ready for Christmas, I think that's a word for us, for me. I think that's a word for us. What are the impediments in my life that are stopping me from being aligned with Jesus? We sing a, we sing a song, Joy to the World. It's a great song. And in that song, uh, the line goes, let every heart prepare him room. Yeah, you know the song. Um, so let every heart prepare him room. And so for us, I think, what are the, what are the blocks in me what are the blocks in us that stop God from having his way, from him having the, the right of way in my life? Is the block something uh, like John the Baptist, forgiveness of sins? Is there, is there sin in our lives that, that we know that is stopping God from having his will and his way in our life that we actually need to confess and give over to God and say, God, help me through it? Is there... Is there um, a, fo a false understanding of the character of God? Are we in a valley, spiritually, where we think, I am so low and so sinful and so shameful and so broken and so beaten down that there's no way that God can reach me here? Do we have a false understanding of the power of God and the love of God? And do we need to realise that there is no valley too low that God cannot lift up? Are there things in our lives that, that appear to us as mountains that are insurmountable, literally, where we think 
this is too big for God, this is too big a problem, this is too big a, a, an issue in my life. I can't get past it. I can't get around it. So we actually need to give over to God to say, God, you need to help me tear that mountain down. I need to make a way for you in my life. And remember, it's okay to, um, to fail in that kind of thing from time to time. We're all going to be in a valley moment and we're all going to get problems that look too big for us and we're all going to get crooked paths and, and sin and brokenness and entanglements and, and all the things that stop God from having his way. But like the US Marines say, it's actually about the logistics of it. It's actually not just the soldiers that win the war, it's the logistics of it. And by that I mean having a heart which comes towards the Lord intentionally with thought and foresight that says, God, I want you to have your way in my life. I recognise these things. I've recognised them in the past and I recognise the things that are impediments to you in my future. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to lose a battle, God, but I need you to win the war. I need you to help me remove it, to prepare a way in my soul that I might be smooth ground for you, that I might be exactly as you want me so that you can be the king and march over my life. So don't get caught up when sometimes it doesn't work. Just give it to the Lord because he is the one that does that work anyway. So prepare the way, says John the Baptist. And then he goes on and uh, we find that people do respond to John the Baptist. People are hungry for the things of God and why not? It's the good news, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And they come from all over the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. They confessed their sins. And he says this, this is his message in, in verse 7. It says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. The thing about John the Baptist in this, he had a really clear sense of who he was. He knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. His role was the harbinger. His role was the forerunner. He was the one who would declare, prepare the way, the king is coming. And, and he knew that. What a great role that he had. But then he said, he knew who God was. And he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. In, in those days, um, the first listeners of this would have known that that role to untie the sandals was given to the lowest servant in the house, the lowest. The master would come out from a day um, out in the town and wearing, you know, the robe and the sandals and been walking in the streets with, like, no sanitation whatsoever back in those days, thank you very much. Uh, it's dusty, it's dirty, it's smelly. And as soon as the master would come to the house, the lowest servant, no one lower, would stoop down and untie the sandals, probably washing the dirt and the dung and all sorts of stuff and washing the feet um, of, this, of the master and letting them into the house. And John says about Jesus, he says, that's too good for me. That's too good for me because you don't know who's coming. You don't know who's coming. This is the beginning of the gospel, of the good news about Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. I can't even do his... his like shoelaces, friends. It's too good for me. This is who God is. And he had this sense of respect and honour 
and he knew who God was, and he knew who he was. And I love that John knew that. I absolutely love that John um, understood that. And I've never really kind of understood John the Baptist, probably because of his outfit and his weird diet. Like, I never really got him. But now I'm thinking, you know what? I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to be the harbinger, the forerunner, who goes out and tells people, friends, the king is coming. The king is here. Prepare your heart. Let every heart prepare him room. He's coming. I'm nothing. Nothing. I can't even untie his shoelaces. Like, but, but friends, the king is coming. And how wonderful is that to, um, to, to maybe step into that role of John the Baptist for us? that we might be people who go out and share the good news of Jesus this Christmas. There's a scripture in Hebrews 10, 23 that says this. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. When you profess something, you speak it out. When you've got a hope in something, you speak it out. You profess it. You tell others about it. And that's what John the Baptist is doing. He has a hope because he knows that the one coming after him is is the Lord, the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And he can't stop telling people about it. And church, that we might be like that, that we might have that same uh, revelation, that same understanding of the majesty and the might and the power of God, that we might be able to hold unswervingly, hold on to that hope, which is only found in Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God, and that we might profess it, tell others about it, about the good news of Jesus, because When we hope for something, we hope for something which is true and right and real. He who promised is faithful. So as we we look at hope and we get ready for the Advent season, sometimes um, the sense of the word hope can be a a bit of a trip up for me. I don't know if it is for you. Because I think hope is so dependent on the thing that we place our hope in. I can hope to win the lottery... I can hope to uh, get a great Christmas present. I can hope it's not 40 degrees on Christmas. I can hope all of these things that are just out there that I have zero control over and that it just wishes. But biblical hope, the hope that we profess, the same hope that John the Baptist had was not about something fleeting or or um, untangible. It was about hope in God. God who is faithful to his promises, hope in Jesus, the one who is Jesus, the Saviour, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. So for us this Christmas season, as we get ready for the Christmas season, let's be people of hope. Let's be people like John the Baptist. Let's prepare our own hearts and also let's be people who, like John the Baptist, share that hope with others because he who promised is faithful. He goes on to say, I'm going to baptise you with water, and he did, said, but uh, the one who comes after me, he's going to baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And church, that's, that's us. 
We have lived to the end of, through the end of Mark's gospel, into the book of Acts, and we've seen the Holy Spirit come. And we know that, that the Holy Spirit is part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who's not only going to be the one to forgive sins, not only the one who's going to be restoring um, us into the rightful place, not only the one who gives us hope, but he's also going to give us the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to be immersed in the Godhead, to be actually indwelt and filled with the Spirit. That's incredible. And friends, that's a, that's a bedrock for our life. That is something we can take to the bank, that we can trust in Jesus. Jesus who is the Saviour, Jesus who is the Messiah, Jesus who is the Son of God, Jesus who freely came here this first Christmas, and Jesus who throughout uh, the, the, the time of his life taught us and showed the way to God, and finally after his death and resurrection at Easter, gave us that same spirit that we are baptised into and immersed into. That is what Christmas is about. That is why we look forward with hope in this Advent season to the coming of Jesus. So that hope that we live in our hearts, that we prepare God room, that, that hope gives us security. It gives us comfort, like in Isaiah, comfort my people. It gives us belonging to where we should be. It gives us a relationship with God the way we were designed to be. It gives us a relationship with others the way it was designed. That hope is actually about finding our true home. And home is found in Jesus, not a place, but a person. So this Christmas season, you might, um, you might be prepared. You might have your tree up. <laughs> You might uh, have the wreath on the door and the presents board and the menu plan and the venue sorted. But my challenge for us today is to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives, to think about the places that God needs to do a work in our lives, the places that, um, that God is saying, here's a mountain, let's pull it down. Here's a valley, let's bring it low. Here's a crooked path, let's make it straight. Our challenge is also to be like John the Baptist, to be people who go and say, it's not about me, but it's about the one who's coming. It's about the king. It's about him. Our challenge is to be people who profess the word of God and hold unswervingly to the hope. And it's also to find our home in Christ, that that be the bedrock of our life, that nothing else shakes us or moves us, but that is our home, our true home, our true north, the place we belong because that's who God is. So that's my, um, that's my challenge for us and for me today in the preparation for Christmas. Let's pray together. Our loving God, we thank you, God, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. Lord, we thank you that those words were spoken to your people Israel centuries ago, that you are the God who sets the captives free that you are the God who brings people out of captivity into a relationship with you, into a home with you. We saw it in Israel. We see it in the words of John the Baptist pointing the way to Jesus. And ultimately, we see it in Jesus himself. 
God, that through your death and resurrection, through your, your mighty works, that you've done that for us. We who were captives to sin and shame and guilt and, and everything bad, Lord, through what you have done, you have brought us out of captivity into freedom, into a relationship with you, into a place where we can have a home with you. God, I pray that every heart here might prepare you room, that we might remove any impediments to having you as our Saviour, our Lord and our King. And we thank you as we look forward to Christmas, that you are alive and active and at work in our church and in our world. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast. We hope you found inspiration and encouragement and God used this message to speak to you. If you want to connect more with GBC, you can follow us on social media or contact us via our website. You can also get to know some of the people from our church community through the We Are The Church podcast. Real stories of real people sharing how Jesus has shaped and transformed their life. We pray you experience the transforming power of Jesus in your life and pray that God blesses you today. Thank you.